Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could appear in our preaching this week. My name's Geoffrey Farrer, and I'm a Methodist minister based in Putney in southwest London. Before I was ordained, I spent 10 years working in the House of Commons as a clerk, and I'm committed to connecting how we pray and read our scriptures to how we vote and live. Each week, I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. And today, I'm very pleased to introduce my colleague, the Reverend David Copley. David has been a Methodist minister for over 50 years. His ministry was entirely in the northwest of England, with uh, mostly serving in Liverpool and Manchester. Wherever he was called to serve, he sought to focus on issues of social justice. He was married to Margaret for 52 years, who sadly died and four grandchildren. David, you're very welcome. Lovely to have you with us and lovely to hear about the beautiful part of the country which you're living in. Thank you. Very good to be here with you. Ah, so we start with the same question each week. We know that politics and the pulpit can be a bit of a contentious topic, but we also believe it's essential that the world around us speaks into our churches. When you hear people saying, as I'm sure you have done, that politics should not be in the pulpit, should not form part of our preaching, what's your response? Well, I haven't actually heard it that much personally, um, but I need to people need need to understand that whatever we do, whenever we preach the gospel, whenever we try to interpret what the Bible is saying to us today, we enter into politics. We are opening ourselves to the world in which we live. And unless we entirely live in the Old Testament or the New Testament and place our lives around that, then immediately we're entering into politics in its widest sense. In other words, the business of people, the activities of what we do as human beings from day to day. I know that obviously one uh, did arise once when I was very much younger, uh, when somebody said to me, you're being party political. And I think it's being party political um, in an obvious way is the wrong thing to do because immediately people will stop listening to you. Oh, people who disagree with you will stop listening to you. So I, I think that's something which I hope I've never actually done. However, I don't think anybody's in any doubt at the end of a period of time where I've been part of their church, where I do stand. So, and I've never encountered a problem with that, actually. So, um, that's good. Yes. Um, very, yes, very interesting. I got told off once for putting a poster up in the manse window uh, for a political party. <laughs> well, yes. Now, um, that happened to us because yeah. the tea towel of Karl Marx, which we thought was rather beautiful. Mm. We had it up in our, when we were not rich enough to have them, well enough off to have pictures of them. So we had this up and the word got about that we were communists. Oh. And, uh, people came to see me to have pastoral chats with me. Dear me, all about a tea towel. <laughs> Dear. Well, before we plunge into our Bibles, we'll just have a quick uh, news roundup. So, of course, we're currently in the season of Lent. We're coming up to Mothering Sunday. 
Um, we've got the first anniversary of the Homes for Ukraine scheme on the 14th of March, and there are resources available on the JPIT website uh, to um, anybody interested in responding to that. Um, in the wider world, of course, there is no greater story in the world today than Gary Lineker not presenting Match of the Day this weekend. Um, and of course, back Gary Lineker, um, uh, I was reminded of all this because when I was driving to my Bible study in Barnes last week, uh, I drove past the press melee outside his house and he occasionally walks past my church in Barnes. Um, we've still got the, and, and part of that, of course, is very much linked to the fallout from the government's illegal migration bill. And uh, there's a statement which church leaders can sign on the JPIT website if they're interested. Today, very seriously, very worryingly, junior doctors have started one of their longest strikes, I think, in the history of the NHS, as they've started a three-day strike. And there continues to be significant fighting in the city of Bakhmut in eastern Ukraine. Mm. So with all that in our mind, and with our metaphorical newspapers in one hand and our very real Bibles in the other, we turn to our lectionary readings for this week. And it's an interesting selection. We've got readings, uh, one of the most famous, well, probably the most famous Psalm, Psalm 23, 1 Samuel 16, Ephesians 5, and John chapter 9. So, David, where would you like to start today, do you think, with those readings? I think I'd be quite happy, in a way, to take them almost in order. Um, from uh, the Old Testament lesson onwards, and just briefly to touch upon um, uh, what comes out of those, each of those three passages, the mm. passage from Gen Genesis, Exodus, I mean, the passage, passage from uh, the Psalm and um, also Ephesians, and then to dwell a little longer on the Gospel reading, mm -hmm. uh, which I think I would undoubtedly be focusing on primarily if I were preaching next Sunday. Yes. Um, so that's where I would start. Well, let's so we start then with 1 Samuel 16, with Samuel anointing David, one of my favourite passages. Indeed. And I mean, it, it really just sort of almost say the obvious that after this period of crisis because of Saul's uh, monarchy, mm. um, in a people who reluctantly took on the monarchy in the first place, of course, because they were before it was judges. Mm. Um, and so now Samuel comes along in secret so that the king wouldn't kill him mm. and goes to this tiny village of Bethlehem and visits a shepherd. And we... It's, it, 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 if you were making a film of it in a different context, it'd be so surreal, wouldn't it? Mm. You know, here is a man who's the kingmaker. And Saul is frightened of him. And he goes to this tiny village, to a farm, and the sons are produced for him <laughs> in mm. chronological order. And he said, well, I don't want any of them. Uh, there's another one, isn't there? And they mm. put David from the fields. And they, by the way, the reading hasn't mentioned his name at, at that point. Yes. And uh, out he comes. And whilst we're not talking about how people look, because he, the Lord has already mentioned it's not how people look 
art. Nevertheless, the, the writer can't restrain him from saying what a bonny chap he was. What a lovely little boy. <laughs> and he anoints him. So straight away, at the beginning of David's journey towards monarchy, the first, the, the last shall be first. The least is going to be the first. And that, of course, is echoed later on in the messianic wish the, that, mm. that there will be a messiah. Again, in Isaiah, the, coming from the least, coming from the forgotten, in the mm. open. And it, that shadow would come, of course, from David's roots. And this is how that journey began, really, isn't it? And I think it's mm. all important just to, to point that out. Um, and to remind ourselves that perhaps today we have entirely lost touch with the least chubby first mm. you know, meritocracy, mm. dictatorship. Um, you know, you, sort of, you mentioned uh, the uh, war in Ukraine. I mean, there are the least at the moment, you know. Uh, there are, in several contexts, there are the, the least, wherever you're talking about. But nevertheless, in Ukraine, they are the least at the moment. And exactly the opposite of that, this story. Exactly. Mm -hmm. story. Yes. And it, it just needs to be sort of pointed out. And I, I think when we look at the gospel, we'll see something of that again uh, from a very different context. Yes. But it's, I think this is such a powerful passage and those lines where, where God says, for the Lord does not see as mortals see, they lock on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And it, it, that came to me regularly in those confrontations between David Cameron and Jeremy Corbyn. Now, yeah. Whatever people said about Jeremy Corbyn, you know, there are valid concerns there and et cetera, et cetera. But I did strongly object to the way that he was judged primarily, you know, as David Cameron famously said, you know, get a tie, you know, get a tie. And, yeah. and the idea that the main criterion for choosing our leader was whether or not they were wearing a tie. Yeah, image. And, and people bought it. People yeah. bought it. It's all about image and um, how you look. And, uh, are you televisual? Mm. Are you photogenic? Yes. And, um, you know, you're having a chance if you're not. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very, that's a very good illustration of it, um, Jeffrey. I, mean, I think we need to constantly remind ourselves that there are values deeper than the values which are presented to us from day after day after day. And I'll be saying a little bit more about uh, people who live in the light and shadow. Mm. Um, because I don't think we're alone in saying that. I don't think we as Christians are alone in saying that, but that's mm -hmm. very rightly about uh, Corbyn and Cameron. Um, so, yeah. It's, it, it, and I think, I, I think that's something that Christians, we really need to continually stress. That is one of our USPs. It, it, it is that emphasis. And, and uh, there's been... Um, as always this week, lots of talk about social media and the impact of things like TikTok and 
um, people living these curated lives where appearance is everything. And, and the terrible effect this is having on young people, the incidence of um, eating disorders, of uh, youth suicide, so much of it is linked to how do I look? And if I don't look perfect, and, and it's you know, there are problems for young women and problems for young men. I've, I've heard about this, about, you know, the desire for young men now, they've got to have a six pack. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, I didn't even know what a six pack was, I don't think. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, that terrible, terrible pressure that we say you've got to look right. And, and, and I think, I think there is, that there has been a lot of positive things lately about, about body positive and saying, you know, it's not about how you look, it's how, what sort of person you are that is so important. Yeah. Uh, that's, I think um, that's what I, you know, essentially I was referring to by saying mm. uh, that the values which you're just coming to there are values which are not exclusively held by Christians. Mm. I think it's very important we keep recognizing that there is a uh, synergy between what you've just been saying, mm. absolutely, and what many people um, of faith and no faith are also saying about the problems of relating to people, the superficiality which you've just got, the living curated lives, which is an extremely good expression of it. And um, I think that's something which we need to hold on to. And I, perhaps, perhaps it'd be a good idea to move to Ephesians passage now. Let's go to, so, so in Ephesians chapter five, wonderful words there, for once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Yes. And, and, and I had to read that twice because I'm so used to sort of seeing it, you were in darkness, but it says you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Indeed. And then the consequence of that is take no part in the unfruitful works, but instead expose them. Yes. And it, I, it seems to me that one of the challenges to us all, you mentioned Gary Lineker, is, mm. is saying what needs to be said. Mm. And in his case, what needs to be said about the illegal, extraordinary title from the illegal, potentially illegal act of parliament because the illegal marriage act. Anyway, that's, um, I, I think he is saying this and it's absolutely right. Although I think probably the furore has actually taken the anger out of the issues to do with the actual bill. Mm. That's, that's not his fault. But the point I wanted to make from this is that it's very easy, and we hear it time and time again in different Christian communities, about we are the people of light. And if you're not part of our being, our community, mm. our church, then you're not in the light. Mm. And it's a totally wrong understanding of what Ephesians is saying. Uh, and because one of the great things we are learning time and time and time again is that the light that we share is not exclusive. Mm. It's never ex exclusive. 
Um, so, for example, one of the great moments of seeing the light for, I think, probably everybody has been the response to the earthquake in Turkey. Mm. And this, in the midst of this terrible destruction, which has you know, affected hundreds of thousands of people, we see people pouring in from over the world. Mm. Not there because they are have a particular faith, not there because they are particular parts of church communities or Islamic. It's they're there because they care and they respond to that. And that I think is where we see the light. We see the light shining through their devotion, extraordinary energy, the, the compassion that they show. And I think that's something I want I felt needs to be emphasized very much behind these readings. Be going to particularly in the gospel. Mm. Won't be mentioning it again, but I think it's there underneath it. We are not exclusive. The light doesn't only shine on us or through us. That's all I was going to say about that. But we seek allies, don't we? We we work with those. I think that's a very valid point, uh, David. You know that we are. We work with those who who work with the light and who, who are the light. Um, and it was uh, gratifying noting about the Turkey earthquake, that uh, the, the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, that uh, the UK raised, the Disaster Emergencies Committee raised 100 million pounds in relief. You know, an incredible, incredibly generous, and it shows that people are committed to, to, to being the light in those situations. And caring for people who are the least at that particular moment of time. Yeah, it, 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 um, and one of the things which, um, I, and I will be talking about this a bit in a minute, one of the things from the story of the, of the blind man, is that one of the gifts we have been given, being able to see where God is moving, where the Holy Spirit is working, and if you can't see the Holy Spirit working in Turkey, then you, you're never going to see the Holy Spirit. Mm. If you can't see the Holy Spirit working through people who stand up against um, the Legal Migrants Act, yeah. you can't see that the Holy Spirit is working through him, then Really, we, we, we should have another conversation altogether. I don't mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, but yeah, very. And and that Ephesians reading, a few verses, but so rich, isn't it? You could get so much out of there about. Um, it said, "Expose the unfruitful works of darkness," and there the job of the church to point the finger and say, "Look, this is not right. This is not." And, and the work of JPIT in exposing uh, what's happening with um, those uh, on the poorest and most marginalized in our society. But we must press on uh, because we've got, as you observe, a very, another long passage from poor readers in Lent this week, after, after the woman at the well last week, we've now got the man born blind receives sight in chapter nine of John. Um, a fascinating passage okay. full of twists and turns um, and, and so much to get out of that. 
Um, what's your take on it, David? Well, to start at, right at the very beginning, this is actually the third of Jesus's major encounters, isn't it? And we've had them in consecutive weeks, I think. Mm. Uh, all meeting Jesus and Nicodemus. Yes. And the, the woman at the well, she's yesterday mm. week. And now this story of the blind man. Three very different conversations. Mm. Nicodemus, in a sort of, uh, uh, you know, locked into his um, sort of own bubble of, you know, belief, not able to grasp at all what Jesus was talking about. Um, then the woman at the well, who was in her own bubble, being a Samaritan, mm -hmm. and the woman. But the conversation breaks her right through that. So she, she encounters Jesus and discovers who she is and who he is. And now we come to this conversation, well, the encounter with Jesus, the blind man, and Jesus and the Pharisees. Um, and the Pharisees are very much from Nicodemus's, um, that's even more of a, a, a confrontational than Nicodemus was. Um, and the blind man who realizes he's changed, as you can see, mm. first doesn't know what's happened to him, but all he knows is once he was blind, now he can see, and the, the connecting point is the fact he met Jesus. Mm. And he stands his ground, doesn't he? He sort of, mm. you know, whatever you say to me, to the Pharisee, I'm not going to be shifted. I know that I was blind, and now I can mm. He denied that he was blind. He can't have been. Well, it, oh, yes, it was. Well, okay, we accept he was blind. Uh, well, it, it must be because every, somebody has to be a sinner in this. Somebody. Yes. So then we come to the next point, about, which is about sinning. Mm. Um, it has to be his parents. No, says Jesus. It doesn't have to be. And indeed, I, I don't know whether that's the first time in, this, you know, in, in history that that has been said. But I suspect it probably has been. That it is not because of sin of his parents that he was blind. And that seems to me to be a point which we need to keep on saying out because it's still heard. Yes. It is still heard uh, that so-and-so is whatever, um, what a disability or whatever uh, limitation that that person has is because of who his parents were or what they did. And uh, it's, it's got to be challenged always and come back to Ephesians, then we need to expose that as a, an enormous lie. Yes. And you're right, we do need to say it repeatedly. And I always point people to this passage and the, the, where Jesus speaks about the Tower of Siloam, 
um, you know, where it very clearly denies any causal link when it comes to healing. Um, as I, I'm just going to pick uh, one thing I hadn't hearing you talk made me think about that tackling of the blind man and the parents. And I'm, I don't know, David, but if you've exercised most of your ministry in Manchester and Liverpool, I presume you have to be a football fan um, of some kind. <laughs> Not, but, uh, yes. Oh, but yeah. you'll know the expression to play the man, not the ball. Absolutely. And what I one what you see if you look carefully, well, not that carefully. If you look in the news repeatedly, is we get what happens here with the authorities. That if somebody brings a piece of news that the authorities don't approve of, and you can't deny the truth of what they're saying, you play the man. Absolutely. You play, and we saw this, or the woman. So we saw this with the um, the affair at Buckingham Palace, where the woman was. He said, "Where are you from? Where are you really from? Where are you really, really from?" Which was clearly a a, a, a very racist and you know aggressive statement. And then what happened was people played the woman. They said, "Oh well, this woman she hasn't paid her taxes. She hasn't done this. This uh, she wears. She dresses outlandishly." And again, you, you people play, if you don't like the facts, you just ignore the facts and you go for the person and you say, well, you're not perfect, are you? Yeah, but, but actually that's very interesting, Jeffrey, and that's a very interesting example because there was a shift again there, which is mm. extraordinary, that still hadn't occurred to me before. Mm. Then said the, the woman who was uh, asking all these questions, oh, she's very old. I mean, she, she's, well, she's over 80. <laughs> so that excuses her. <laughs> it, it yeah. was, that, there was a very powerful sense of that, you know, which um, at the time, wasn't there? So, mm. uh, so if this poor woman who's been accused and attacked by these questions mm. uh, is in the right, as it were, then it has to be the old woman mm. who's old. So rather than actually addressing the actual issue where racism was right front and centre, you, 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 as you say, you, you deflected by either challenging what kind of a woman the black woman was or, mm. or how old the old lady was. Neither pertain whatever to the question uh, front. And that is, that's the thing floating around in this story all the time, isn't it? Mm. And that, that, that just in the in the passage, they said, and the, the man born blind, he responds very boldly, very bravely to those in authority. And he said, well, you know, I was blind and now I can see what what more do you want? And, and, and they turn around and said, well, how dare you try and teach us anything? And they drove him out because they didn't want to hear. They didn't want to hear the truth. Absolutely. And it, I think um, I mean, you're right to sort of. Uh, Bring that particular instance of racism. Mm. Uh, it seems to me that we're talking about somebody who's blind, mm. but we could easily be talking about somebody today mm. um, who is an asylum seeker. Mm. And um, whose fault is it that those people are on that boat? Yes. Is it their fault because they're running away from a country where they shouldn't be running away from anyway in the first place? Or is it the, the terrible smugglers 
Mm. Or is it that they can't find a home anywhere else? Yeah. Or is it that we are not prepared to offer them a home? And we haven't given them a safe route out of whichever country that they're coming from. And so to be able to sort of get to the heart of the story as Jesus gets there at the, at the last part of this story of uh, Jesus and the blind man, mm-hmm. to get to the real heart of it is to say, this is a person who could not see, but now can. And I am showing you that that's the issue which we're talking about. We're not talking about who is a sinner and who's not a sinner. We're not talking about anything else other than he can see. Mm. And, and if you're not prepared to see that, then you can't see. And you're, as you said, right at the end of it, willful blindness is the worst sin. Mm. Choosing not to see. Yes. And it, it's, you know, it's sort of funny, uh, reading it in this context, like we're doing this today together, that hit me so hard. I think, you know, everybody is at fault except me. Mm. Everybody. Mm. And you can cast around as off much as you can uh, to find out who's responsible. But in the end, you might have to look at yourself. Mm. That's a... Uh, it's a very powerful message and it's a powerful message to us all it's not it's not a political thing it's a it's a powerful question to us all isn't it um, yeah. and it becomes political because there's a serious lack of that kind of reflection at the moment in, in uh, world politics whether it's uh, people telling everybody that uh, the reason for the war in ukraine is everybody's fault but his yes and it is that idea of it's it's, it's when and 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 that in that in John's gospel, of course, we have that culmination of with Pilate, what is truth? And that question you could ask through the entirety of John's gospel, what is truth? And um, I still think one of the best things that Japit ever did was the Truth and Lies report, which. Um, for those people who haven't heard of it or encountered it, I still think stands the test of time. And it, in, it, in it said, it was called Truth and Lies, and it said, these are, the, these are the things we say about people claiming benefits, and this is the truth of the actual, you know, here are the statistics, here is, you know, government reports. And it, it and I, I use that material in, in, in worship and in Bible studies, and I still remember one service, I use that material, and one person came up afterwards and said, that was the worst thing I've ever heard in church. Absolute abomination. This is party politics. You're just preaching, you know, telling us, you know, I don't believe a word of it. Another person at the same service said, that was the best service I've ever been to. <laughs> um, and it was, it, and I, I think it's that idea of you lay alongside one another what we think we know with the actual reality. And people it's very hard for all of us it's very hard for all of us in all of these contexts when we are and I think there's a wonderful Radio 4 program more or less where they do statistics and 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 you say well this is actually this is actually what the situation is and um 
I would always put a caveat with the blind stories in the Gospels because my partner's visually impaired. And I know a lot of people with visual impairment and blindness get very upset and saddened by this link that the Gospels sometimes make between blindness and being spiritually blind. And they, they object to that. So we always have to be aware yeah. of that. But there's, a, you know, to what extent all of us have our blind spots of things we just don't want to hear. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure you've encountered people who said, well, I don't care. I don't care what the truth is. This is what I believe. And that's it. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I, I think I defer to everything you've just said about um, blindness. Mm. I think that that's very important. But I think there is a thing about willful. Mm, willful blindness, yes. That's the point of the, the, the end of the gospel, and I think that needs to be emphasised very much, particularly in the context of what you've just said. Um, I think the other thing which comes through very powerfully this week, like we mentioned the word already, I think, is compassion. Mm. But when Suella Braverman stood up in... Uh, David, you were just saying about compassion. Yeah. I mean, compassion is at the heart of this story of Jesus. Um, the disciples don't get it at first. It's so often that uh, we've seen how John, the Gospel of John, uh, writing a long time after Jesus died, uh, he puts words into his mouth. And mm. I think I can't ever believe that Jesus would say, he wasn't blind because of uh, neither his parents had, had sinned. He's blind because uh, God's works will be revealed in him. And I don't, I think that's John making a point about the light of the world. And yes. So compassion is a, runs right through this story because we see the need to place ourselves in somebody else's shoes. Uh, what is it like to be, in this case, blind? What is it like to be, in this case, uh, today, uh, an asylum seeker has been forced to buy some smuggler to go across the boat and threaten, challenge their lives in a way which is just unthinkable, isn't it? And I, we, the Home Secretary standing up in Parliament saying that their, this policy was compassionate. Mm. It seems to me to be an absolute offence against human decency. Yes. I mean, I, it, it, I, I'm, I'm never going to make a claim so she's making an offence against what Christian values. That's not the issue. Christian values are big enough to be able to stand up for themselves. But it's against human decency that what we are talking about here is something which is so cruel, in the word of Gary Lineker, as to be almost unthinkable. Mm. David, I think we're going to have to uh, wrap it up then. We've, we've struggled with some connection problems today, I think partly caused by the weather, which is, um, is a gale force, uh, I think, at both our ends. We it? just wanted to say something about, I mean, obviously today the set psalm for this Sunday is Psalm 23, uh, probably the most famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yeah. Now, I'm, 
do, I believe you're you're a poet as well as everything else, and you've you've written a, a, a poem reflecting on this psalm. I wonder, would you be able to share it with us? Thank you. I, uh, describing me as a poet is a bit strong, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, write, I write I write stories which. Uh, in, Um, so yes, uh, one of the things about um, uh, writing poetry in the way that I was taught to do by um, by uh, people who uh, really have helped me to sort of express faith through in the poetic form has been that you often find something if you say writing about a story or an event, as this that I'm about to read is, that once you've read it, after you've written it, you say, oh, that's what this is about. Mm. And I wrote this story about uh, a family, her brother's family. And um, we were going to a place in Connemara. Are we still, are you still hearing me? Yes, yes. This is called Finding the Way. Lost. We asked the postman, who better? And whom will be seen in Erfurt? The prices. Oh, you'll be very happy. Now, will you be for taking the high road or the low road? Which is the better? Oh, the low road, the high road is no good at all. I once directed, we found our way and were greeted with a peat fire welcome with tea and scones fresh from the stove. We were indeed happy. Erfurt, coves of white sand, gentle hills occupied by amiens, the occasional croft and us, was a place where earth and heaven met. The fields spoke of toil, famine, and the anguish of struggle. But we from the old enemy were embraced with openness and found peace. Thank you, David. Thank you. And that fits in very well with my Lenten discipline. I'm, I'm following a poem a day. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, and uh, it's made me, made me appreciate poetry a lot more. But thank you for sharing that with us. That wonderful reflection, which you later learned was a reflection on Psalm 23. The journey from a guide mm. to peace. Well, thank you very much for being with us, David, despite um, the technological problems. And I hope we've, uh, we, we've, got, uh, most, uh, we've got most of what you said, I'm sure. Um, well, I, hope, I hope it's worthwhile in the end, because it's uh, been such a isn't it? I'm sure it will be. But thank you very much indeed. Um, and I'll just say to everybody, uh, if you've enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. We also have online spaces for further engagement and discussion about faith and politics on Twitter at uh, pulpits underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit. We also have a Facebook group which you can access through the Joint Public Issues Teams Facebook page and the website jpit.uk. That's jpit.uk. And the question perhaps we could leave you with this week and this episode is, um, is perhaps that one about... Uh, how we uh, see and uh, value people. Do we still uh, see as, uh, as um, 
Samuel did initially, people's outward appearance, or do we see inside as God sees us? Uh, and do we uh, really value compa- uh, values like compassion and honesty uh, over uh, the seeming the seemingly pleasant outward appearance? So let's go into both our politics and our pulpits with a blessing now. Christ, give you grace to grow in holiness, to deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow him. And the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be with you and with our world this day and evermore. Amen. Thank you for listening. Look forward to being with you next week. Goodbye and God bless.